Good morning, Element 3 Church. I'm Pastor Mike. And as I've shared before, uh, I want to begin today by talking about national parks because my wife and I are national park addicts. And there's this thing that I do whenever I go to a new park. About a month out, I begin to obsessively collect knowledge about it, especially about its ecology. I just like to know where I'm going and what I'm going to see and what it's going to be like. And knowledge tends to be how I try to understand, dissect, and engage my world. I'm an overthinking person. And this was particularly true for my trip to Glacier National Park in Montana. You see, months out, I started reading all I could, especially about how the park formed. You see, the park has these glaciers that sit on top of its mountains that, over millions of years of melting, have eroded the tops of the mountains almost clear off. And they've created these unique, jagged, worn-down peaks that are supposed to be entirely different than what we see in things like the Rockies, and totally and unbelievably stunning. And I just looked at pictures. I read as much as I can. I gained as much information as I could. I ate it up. And I began to believe that I understood what the park was and what it was going to be like before going, that I got the park before ever having gone there. But when I arrived, I realized that I didn't understand Glacier National Park at all. You see, knowing facts about Glacier was entirely different than actually experiencing the place. Nothing that I read or looked at prepared me for its beauty. Those mountain peaks I was talking about, I mean, they were just gorgeous. The mountain ridges were more stunning than any description or picture. They were totally unlike anything I had ever seen before. And on top of that, when you looked at the way it eroded, they had been cut off on the top to form these trickling waterfalls all over the place that would just come down through the cracks of erosion and create this beauty all around you. And then this is my favorite part. At the bottom were these lakes of pure, unpolluted glacier water. And they were the most stunning thing I had ever seen. I'm talking the most blue water I've ever seen. It almost glowed this aqua color. It almost radiated out of the lakes. And they were so pristine that when we did hikes from above them, we could look down from the mountain ridges and actually see what was at the bottom of the lakes, right? We could see these logs clear as day at the bottom. That's how pure the water was. And I was awestruck. I mean, I have never in my life fallen in love with a place faster. I would go live in a mountain like cottage in Glacier National Park if I could. And I learned two lessons that day. First, there's a difference between knowledge and experience. See, I can know a lot of facts about something profound, but head knowledge can't make up for experiencing it. And to truly know something profound, I need both. I need to know about it, but I also need that experience of it. And second, what I learned is I only truly get transformed by something through the proximity to it or the experience of it. See, the head knowledge wasn't bad. I'm still glad I have it, but I needed the proximity, the experience to really begin to change in my relationship to it. See, I knew beforehand that Glacier National Park had been damaged by humans and environmental issues, but that knowledge had never really moved me to change or act on its own. It was just things that I had in the back of my head. But when that knowledge combined with proximity, when it combined with the experience of this place's beauty, 
Well, together, the head and the heart began to mix. And what I found is they formed a desire within me to do something, to change my behavior, and to begin to act to care for this place that now meant so much to me in my life. And honestly, one of the reasons I bring this up is I find this to be true of faith as well. You see, for years, I would say, even when I was in seminary, that I knew a lot about the Bible without being transformed by it. See, I found that I could collect a lot of facts about Scripture. And that knowledge was good. But without being open to experiencing God through Scripture, it never truly moved me to change. What I found is I needed to be open to God through both knowledge and experience to grow. And I only really had one. And that is where we are going to go this week in our series, Just Be, where we've been exploring key aspects of spirituality and then the practices that teach us to experience these these realities of the faith in our daily lives. We experience them so we can grow to just be them when it matters most. And for today, I want to dive into the move from knowing about God in the Bible to experiencing God through the Bible. I want to look at what it means to become people who can just be open to the experience of God with us, speaking to us, and seeking to transform us through Scripture. And to do so, I want to focus on one of the most important texts from the Old Testament. It's a statement from God in the book of Deuteronomy. It begins in chapter 6, verse 4, and you've probably heard it before. Hear, O Israel, or the people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is a crucial scripture. It has been used as a daily prayer in Judaism for thousands of years. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard it a lot. You've probably seen it on bumper stickers or church signs or even t-shirts And often what I found is that it gets simplified into something as simple as just saying, love God, right? Love God with with your strength, huzzah, right? But what I would challenge you with is that within this text is a deeper concept. And it's grounded in this first word, hear, or often translated as listen. You see, this is a word that is easy to miss because in English, listening, is just what we do when sound enters our ears. But in Hebrew, this word is actually shema, and it gets at this divide between knowledge and experience. It's a far more complex word, and it's going to show us what it means to just be open to God. And I could do what I normally do when I bring up Hebrew words, um, which is geek out, I could start giving you way too much information about them. I could start rambling on about one word, and you guys would probably start to roll your eyes. But there's actually a video from a group called The Bible Project. It's a group that I adore that lays out what this word means, what Shema means way better than I ever could. And on top of that, it has doodles and drawings. So it's infinitely better than me just talking about it. So I'm going to let them lay it out, and then we're going to come back and dive in. So let's take a look, okay? 
For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. See, I told you, the animation, the cartoons are just way more interesting than me going on about it. But this word Shema means so much more than just hearing or gaining head knowledge. To Shema God includes learning about God and being open to experiencing him relationally. It implies that we both allow God to transform us and act from that transformation towards him and others. All must be included to truly shema, to listen to God according to the scriptures. And in that light, the passage lays out what truly shemaing God entails. Shema, O Israel, the people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul and with all your strength. In this passage is profound. Love or ahava in Hebrew is more than just a emotion in the biblical worldview. You see, God's love includes his actions of grace towards us as well as his affection for us. It comes out of his character, both the affection and the actions, and they're both encompassed in love. It's God's loving affection experienced through what he's done and what he continues to do for us. Both must be included to say that we ahava somebody, we love somebody. Thus, to love God, to ahava God in response to shema'ing about God's love requires a response in both affections and actions like God's own. And Jesus goes further. He says to shema God and to love God in response to knowing what he's done for us requires extending that loving affection and action towards human beings too, towards our neighbor, loving them as ourselves. In other words, we can't shema according to Jesus without loving God and people like he does. And look at the degree of love that God calls us to do if we are going to truly shema in this passage. He says, love with all your heart, or in Hebrew, that's lev. And in the Hebrew worldview, the heart isn't where our emotions are found. It's not our warm and fuzzies, right? The heart wasn't the place of emotion. It's where our will flows from, where we think from, where we understand our world from, our worldview. That's where it comes from, where we form our desires from and where we act from. That's what the lev is. Love with all our soul or nefesh. And we often think of the soul as like this disembodied spiritual part of us that carries on after we die. But in Hebrew, it's far bigger than that. It encompasses the entirety of our being. We don't have a soul. We are a soul in the Hebrew understanding of the world. It is the core of all we are, our nefesh. Love with all your strength, or ma'od, which actually translates in a really odd way to English to our very muchness. It includes every moment of our lives, every part of us, all that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, our everything. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your strength, your everything. I mean, just sit with this to truly shema, to truly listen to God, is to open ourselves to God through knowledge, but also to experience God with us, loving us, calling us deeper, to let that experience transform the entirety of our being and to extend that same love towards people with our everything, our very muchness. It's to love God and people with our beliefs, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our affections, our desires, and our deeds. I mean, isn't that just, it's just beautiful as a concept. But it's also incredibly challenging, at least for me. First, I think being open enough to Shema God rather than just hear about God is incredibly uncomfortable. I think when God becomes just a list of facts for us, which he often does when we confine him to that space of head knowledge alone, you see, what I find is I can confine God to a box that I can control. And he becomes a God that doesn't challenge me. 
See, because on my own, what I tend to do is I tend to bend my knowledge to what I already believe and think about my world, about God, about other people. I have a way of just kind of adjusting it to fit what I want the world to be. And what I end up doing is I end up making God something that's tame or abstract or shaped by my filters for the world and not the other way around. You see, the hard part about this idea of being open to experiencing God is that a God that is outside of me, bigger than my knowledge, a God that challenges how I see the world because he sees it better than me, that God is dangerous. If I truly shema that God, he might tell me I'm wrong about a certain group of people. He might call me to move. He might call me to be transformed. Experiencing that God makes me squirm because that God won't let me stay where I'm at. And I'm comfortable with where I'm at. Second, I think Shema challenges me because I often want to listen to God with some, but not all, of myself. See, I hear you, God, on the loving you part, but not the loving those people Or I hear you, God, about giving you my soul when I die, but not my identity right now, not who I am and how I think about myself. Or God, I hear you with my emotions. I love the feeling of you with me, but not with all of me, not with my very much, not with my thoughts, my time, my talents, my treasures, my money, my gifts. No, that's inconvenient if I gave you those. I can't love you. I can't hear you with all of that. In other words, what I'm saying is I often hear you, Lord, but I don't often want to shema you, Lord. And finally, shema challenges me because I like knowing about how to love people a lot more than acting with love towards people and thus towards my God. You see, if I'm being honest, I can get tricked into thinking that knowing about the struggles of others is the same as loving them in those struggles. That feeling a certain way about what Jesus would do in a situation is the same as acting like Jesus in that situation. And in the Shema, we're told that we can't believe that. We do not Shema God if we do not learn to act in his love towards others especially the downtrodden, those that need help, those that need compassion, mercy, love, those who need us. As the New Testament author James writes in one of his, or in his letter, in chapter 1, verse 22, he says it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Or as the New Testament author John writes in his first letter, In chapter 3, verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I would summarize it this way. When we don't seek to be open to God outside of ourselves, who wants to change us, we have ears that hear, but we do not shema. We cannot claim the Bible if we do not experience God through it if it does not transform how we think about and love God and people. And we cannot claim to have heard about God's love 
if it does not produce actions of divine love towards other people in our world. To truly shema, to listen to God. We must learn to open ourselves to a God outside of ourselves who seeks to speak to us, call us, make us uncomfortable, and lead us into dangerous spaces of change where we are open enough to let God reshape us in his image and not the other way around. That's what it means to just be open. But learning to just be open requires practice. And for today, I want to share one that focuses on the Bible as a tool for opening ourselves to God through experience of him, instead of just head knowledge about him. It's a practice called Lectio Divina. And it was super weird for me at first because it engages the Bible, honestly, in a way that I was never taught growing up. You see, growing up, I only really learned to view the Bible as, as ground to dig, as a tool that I had to dig into to gain knowledge. Like I said, it was ground to dig, so I had to get a shovel, and I had to just start digging into it, right? I had to will myself through it. I had to pull things out of it. I had to, in some way, dig all that I could from it and store that in my brain. Which, don't get me wrong, that's a good thing. Head knowledge is a good thing about the Bible. We should know about God through it. But the key point I'm trying to make is that it's not all there is. We need both knowledge and experience. And that's what the Lectio Divina is all about. See, it treats the Bible more as a lightning rod. It acknowledges that God seeks to speak to us relationally and directly through spiritual practices and tools that put us in a posture of openness to shema him, to listen to him, not willing ourselves different, deep, deeper, but sitting, holding it up, and allowing ourselves to, to listen for and be struck by the lightning of God's word and inspiration. I know most of us are probably afraid to be struck by lightning from God, but it's a good, it's a good one in this part because it involves a Bible, I, I swear. Anyway, so here's what you do. First, you do what we always do in these practices. You get quiet, you breathe, acknowledge God's presence, and then it's five simple steps. Step one, read. Choose a small section of Scripture and read it. I will use one of my favorites. It's Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Read through that slowly, gradually. Read it a few times if you need to. And here's the big thing. Don't analyze it, which is incredibly hard for me, right? Well, Ephesians 4 is about blah, 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 the historicity of Ephesus. Just stop. Just stop. Sit. Repeat it. Get in your mind. Listen. Step two, meditate. Meditate on it. Lecture Divina, again, it treats the Bible as the living word of God that he speaks through to us. So we hold the verse up as this lightning rod and we wait for God to do the work, to inspire us for his lightning to strike. So hold that passage without preconceived notions about it. Ask, what does the text say to me today in my life? What does it mean to be a prisoner of the Lord today in my marriage? 
What is my calling, my nine-to-five job today? What is a life worthy of the calling that I have received and how I treat others who are hurt in this world? Repeat the scripture until one part sticks into you that you just can't let go of. Prisoner, I just can't stop thinking of this word prisoner, being a prisoner of the Lord. Take that. That's God's spirit. Move into step three. Pray over that word or that phrase. Ask God to show you what he wants you to hear, where you need to experience that more. God, where have I not been a prisoner devoted to you enough in how I treat my stuff, my talents, my time? God, I have not lived a life worthy of my calling to love and to be like you and how I treat the least of these. Sit with it, pray, ask God to light up your heart. Step four, contemplate. Sit in silent contemplation. You sit in silence and listen to God and allow him to speak through the text. Just listen for God. Trust that the section or this word has been brought to you for a reason. Breathe in, breathe out, repeat the word, repeat the phrase. Sit in the uncomfortable quiet and just see if something comes to you about a situation in your life, about something that you need to change, about some place that you suddenly realize you want to do better. Sit with it, contemplate, let God speak. And then step five, and this is the hardest part, act on it. Act. Close by committing yourself by asking one question. Where do I need to respond with action today in what I've heard? How can I shema God better through how I act differently and love towards our God and towards others in my world, in this area of my life? What does it mean to shema in what you've shown me, Lord? And all I can say is I have found that as I dig and learn about God and experience God with me, well, combined, I begin to change. Day by day, I begin to listen more in my daily life, in the mundane circumstances, in the everyday conversations that I usually just blow right past. And they end up becoming a little bit more important than I thought they'd be. What I really begin to find, though, is that this book that we call the Bible, it becomes more than just an abstract list of facts or pages of data. It becomes inspiration. It becomes a lightning rod for God to speak. It becomes something that connects me to the author of our universe, the author of all life, my creator, my God, the God of love. When I open all that I am to that God, well, slowly but surely, he begins to reshape me in his image. I begin to reflect him a little bit more, not myself and my ego, to others in my world. And y'all, I don't know about you, but I, I think the world needs a little bit more of him than it needs of me. Shema, God. Let it change you. And then go be that thing in the world through how you act towards others and the problems and the needs of others in our world. Practice and learn to just 
be open. You might just find yourself becoming a little bit more like God and a little bit more like someone who is actually a piece of good news to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. Amen.